If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Let's get into it. Hey, it's good to see all you guys. I um, You guys got to see me, but I didn't get to see you when we were doing the Israel videos. How cool was that? Did you guys enjoy those? I wasn't sure how that was going to fly, like showing a video. You guys show up and there's going to be a video. But if you want to actually go experience it, not just watch it on video, 2020, we're going again. And the registration is already open. And as I did last time, I'll warn you this time, the trip will fill up. So if you're excited to go and you want to go, um, you can register online. All the information is on the website or in your e-bulletin for sure. And uh, we'll do it again in 2020. It was an amazing trip. All you need to do, if you want to know about like this trip, just go find somebody. Don't take my word for it. Go find somebody that was on the trip and ask them. And they will tell you how absolutely amazing it was. All right, let's get into the Word and we'll pray as we do so. Lord, we ask that as we open your Word this morning, that you would um, remove all the crazy busyness of our world and let us, for this time, wholly and solely focus on you. Just, Just cast all of those worries of everyday life away. And allow you to speak directly to our hearts because your word and your Holy Spirit has that power within it. So Lord, right now we ask um, as we open our hearts and surrender to you, that you would speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys awake and ready to go? Okay, all right, let's do it. Romans chapter 8. We'll read through the text, and then we will come back and talk about it. We'll start in verse 5, Romans 8. Give you a second to get there. We are continuing through our study throughout the book of Romans. We're going to pick up in verse 5, and it says this. For those who are according to the flesh, and notice what it says here, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the Spirit is life, peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, What's happening here is the Bible is making a contrast between two opposite mindsets, two opposite approaches to life, and two opposite sets of value. That which is of the flesh versus that which is of the spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about flesh here, it's not talking about skin, right? We often refer like flesh and bone, and we talk about skin. But it's actually a biblical term to refer to the old sinful nature. So when the Bible talks about flesh, we're talking about that old sinful nature, our fallen egocentric human nature that we're born with, right? This nature that panders to this 
ungodly self-centeredness that every one of us has. We, we understand that, right? We understand we're born with that. If you have kids, you know this. You did not teach them to yell mine and take something from their sibling, did you? They do it on their own, don't they? Why? Because they're a bunch of little tiny sinners. They were born with it. They're fallen in their nature. And that's what the flesh is. It's this nature that we have that has these desires and these values and these worldviews and these pursuits that are completely tainted by sin and that sinful nature. Spirit, on the other hand, is a reference to the Holy Spirit and a reference to new life and a new nature that the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit brings into the life of those that are followers of Jesus Christ. And so this now means that we have a new nature with new values, right? With a new worldview. We have new desires, new pursuits, new ways of thinking. This was the change that Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he needed in John chapter 3. When Jesus says to him, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. So the very first thing that Jesus tells this guy, Nicodemus, is without this born-again thing, without this new birth thing, you're not going to have salvation. But then he goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, water is a reference to natural birth, birth as a baby that comes with that sinful nature that is inherent to all of fallen humanity. Spirit, on the other hand, is that new life, that new birth that comes with the new nature that we're talking about. It comes now with this ability that we didn't have before, but we now have. This ability to now be led by the Holy Spirit, that we might walk in the will of God. Then Jesus goes on there in John chapter 3, John chapter 3 to say this, for that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he's saying now that there has to be this secondary spiritual rebirth, this born again thing, if we're going to be able to truly know God and understand spiritual things about God. Without it, we won't be able. And so the text is making this radical distinction for us between what it means to walk in the flesh and what it means to walk by the Spirit. And we are supposed to understand these two mindsets as vastly different from one another. We need to comprehend and understand that these are completely opposed to one another. And it's critical that we recognize the distinction between them because there is no middle ground given here. There's no pseudo-spiritual category offered in the text. Only those that are pursuing the flesh versus those that are pursuing the spirit. And then we have to be honest with ourselves and ask what? Which one are we? Which one is our greater pursuit? Do I see myself pursuing more of the things of the flesh or more of the things of the Spirit? Now, when we start talking about walking in the Spirit, 
it is important to qualify a little bit and to explain that it doesn't mean that we don't still struggle, right, between these two natures. It doesn't mean that we don't still feel the temptation to go back to the flesh. That was the whole point there in chapter 7, wasn't it? At the whole end of the chapter there where Paul got really personal. You guys remember back a few weeks, chapter 7, where Paul brings us into his own struggle and he lets us in on his battle between the two natures, right? We understand ourselves as born-again believers now having these two natures. We have this new nature that the text is calling spirit, but that old sinful nature, it still lingers, doesn't it? It's still back there and it's wanting to creep in. And we can hear and really almost tangibly feel, can't we, in, in Romans 7, as Paul's writing this struggle that he has, right? Remember, and I'll just read it real quick. He says, for, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in the flesh. He's talking about that old sinful nature. He says, that old sinful nature, there's just nothing good in it. For, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. I practice the very evil I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, um, I'm no longer doing it, but it's sin that dwells in me. It's that old sinful nature that's still lingering, he says. Verse 21, he says, uh, I find this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So I, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. He says, I look at the word of God and it's right and it's good and it's true. And I acknowledge that. But then he says, but I see a different law in the members of my body. And the, and the terminology he uses here is waging war. I, I see this waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin, which is in my me- members. And then what's he do? He gets to the end. He's like, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And you can just feel, can't you? Paul's conflict in that moment. He's like, ah, you know. He's like, I, I know I should do this, but I get torn this way and I can feel this, but I, I know I shouldn't feel that. And you can just feel it. And of course, he answers it in verse 25 by how? Thank you, God, through Jesus Christ, I've been set free. But aren't we glad that Paul is just so honest and open with us here? Because don't we feel the same thing? That same draw between both of those natures? Don't every one of us feel that thing of like, the thing I, I, I know I should do, I don't do, and the thing I want to do, I, sometimes I don't do, but I want to do it. And Ah! You know? Don't we get to that place? And I'm so glad that Paul is honest with us because I think that sometimes you can think you're the only one, right? You can walk into church and you see all the smiling people and guys are carrying their big gigantic Bibles and you might start to think, man, all these people seem to have it so together. I must be the only one that's struggling with this stuff. Paul says, no, man, it's not just you. This wages war within me, Paul says. But not only him. James concurs, he says, evil desires wage war within us. And then Peter also chimes in in 1 Peter 2.11, and he says the fleshly lusts wage war against the soul. So we acknowledge that it's a real battle, and Paul would write to the Galatians, and he would say that sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit then gives us the desires to do the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And then he says this, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So we acknowledge the reality of the battle, right? But then we come to chapter 8. And the beautiful thing about chapter 8 and the good news of chapter 8 is that through Christ, the believer is no longer in bondage to sin. Doesn't mean that we still don't feel that temptation, but sin no longer holds dominion over us. It no longer holds control or authority over us. That was the point of verse 3, isn't it? Look at verse 3. It says, the, and we'll put it up here as well. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of the sinful nature. It wasn't that the law wasn't good. The law is what? It's the word of God. It's perfect. It's pure. It's good. But we couldn't keep it. Why? Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And so God did. The law could not do. And that he sent his own son in the body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Somebody please say amen. By giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sin. And so we are no longer in bondage to sin. Now, we can put ourselves back into bondage to sin, can't we? By going after it and pursuing the things of the flesh, we can do that. But the power that was held over us by sin has been broken by Christ at the cross. And the power of the Holy Spirit is now available to all believers to help us to stand against temptation and sin, to walk according to the Spirit. And so the main point this morning is this. We have two natures, right? So we now have a choice whether we're going to pursue the things of the flesh or whether we're going to pursue the things of the Spirit. We've got this new nature, but that old nature still exists. But we don't have to live by its dictates any longer, do we? That was the point of verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Why is that? Because sin has been broken. You're not obligated to live that way any longer. Now, that wasn't always true, was it? Because before we were born again, we only had one nature, didn't we? a fallen sinful nature. And so before that renewing and regenerating work that happened via the Holy Spirit, we could only live and think and understand according to the old nature, according to the flesh. We only had that one lens to look through. That's what verse 7 is talking about. It says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, and it says, for it is not even able to do so. That means that before that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, it means it was impossible for us to live out the Word of God. It was impossible 
for us to live out the spiritual life and to walk in the will of God without the Holy Spirit. That makes sense, right? We can't be spiritual people without the Spirit, right? We understand that as making sense. Now, it's important that we also note, though, it doesn't mean that unsaved people only do bad things and only think wrong things. But it does mean this, that it is impossible for them to have true spiritual understanding because that's only given by the Spirit, which they do not have. And so what that means then for us as believers is we now operate differently. The unbeliever has a different perspective, doesn't he? A different worldview, a different value system, different desires, different pursuits, different concerns based only on seeing and understanding things through that tainted lens of a fallen nature. That's all they have, that tainted lens of a fallen nature. Many of us remember that lens, don't we? We can only see the world through that lens at that time. That's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at what it says. But the people who aren't spiritual cannot, can't receive the truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. That is why, oftentimes, unbelievers don't understand. They don't understand the mindset that we now have. They don't understand the worldview that we hold, the values and the pursuits of a believer. It sounds like foolishness to them because they cannot understand it. There's a good chance that especially if you had lived quite waywardly before coming to Christ and you had many friends from that lifestyle, there's a good chance that once you got saved that you had family or friends or people come to you and say like, I don't even know you anymore. Like, like, I don't get you anymore. Why is that? Because you're different now. Your desires changed didn't they? The things that you used to love to do and want to do and found uh, joy and pleasure in, you don't even want to do them anymore because they're in opposition to the truth of God. Your values have changed. Your worldview has changed. And you're now looking at the world through a biblical lens that unbelievers don't have. And so the point is that before we were saved, We only had the one lens, the one option to live and to think according to the dictates of a fallen nature. But now we have this new nature that we can choose to live by, right? Jesus broke the bondage of that old sinful nature. He gave us the Holy Spirit, which now empowers us and gives us the ability to live differently. We can now live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we can now live out the will of God, which we couldn't before. And this is vital because it's impossible to live out the Christian life without the Holy Spirit active and at work in your life. It's absolutely impossible. 
That's why Jesus forbid it for his disciples. He told them to stay in Jerusalem. You guys don't go anywhere. Don't try anything. You're not equipped until you have the Holy Spirit. He told them in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, wait until you're clothed with power from on high, and then you'll be equipped. And here's the whole point. This is what we're boiling it down to this morning. Christian, since you have two natures, since you have a choice, what the text is telling us is to pursue the Spirit. Because you have a choice, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Because you have a choice now, live out your identity in Christ. That's the point of verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. For those that are according to the flesh do what with their mind? They set it on the things of the flesh. But those that are of the Spirit do what? They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And setting your mind is all about what you pursue. It's what you let your thoughts dwell on. It's where you set your affections. Setting the mind is something that we do. It's a spiritual discipline. It doesn't come automatically, does it? It's not as if when you got saved, your mind was instantly made pure, and now all you think about is good and godly things. That's not accurate, is it? it is a, it's a spiritual discipline. It takes constant effort for us, doesn't it? To set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Why? Because that old sinful nature is still there and wants to creep back in any time you or I let our guard down. And the key is that the Holy Spirit is there and available. And it is the Holy Spirit that does the real work. The Holy Spirit that has the power and the ability to, to really transform us. And it's really Him who's doing most of the work here. We know where the power lies. But we also have a responsibility and a part in it in that we have to choose to and turn to and surrender to the Holy Spirit. We choose whether we're going to focus our pursuits on the things of the flesh or whether we're going to set our pursuits on the things of the Spirit. That's something that we choose. From the moment that you and I get up in the morning, we have the ability to choose what we're going to feed our mind with, don't we? We have that ability. The Holy Spirit does the real regenerating work does that real renewing work in our minds. But we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by feeding our minds truth and not grieving the Spirit by pursuing the things of the flesh, as it says in Ephesians 4. So we have a responsibility, don't we? Here, Very similar to what we read in Romans chapter 6. It said this, So you also should consider yourselves, something that we do, our responsibility. You should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Then it says, do not let sin, that's something that we do. Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires, something that we do. Do not let, again, something that we do. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves, something that we do, give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead, but now you you have new life. So use, again, something that we do, use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Why? Because sin is no longer your master. And so we have a clear choice, don't we? Because the power of sin has been broken in our life, because God has given us His Holy Spirit, God has given us the option and the ability to stand against temptation and to walk in the will of God. The whole point of what we're getting at this morning is that we have a choice. We can choose between the two natures. We have a choice whether you and I are going to set our minds on the flesh when we get up in the morning, or are we going to set our minds on the spirit when we run into a difficult situation? Are we going to set our mind on the flesh, or are we going to set our mind on the spirit when we have to do difficult parenting? Are we going to set our mind on the flesh or set our mind on the spirit? We choose, don't we? And so let's get really, really practical for just a minute. How do we do this? How do we do How do we walk this out this week? This afternoon, tomorrow when you go to work. How are we going to set our minds properly? Well, I'm just going to give you two things. I'm sure there's others, but I'm going to give you two big ones. Number one is this. Surrender of our will to the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Spirit active and moving and and vibrant in your life unless you're surrendering your will to the work of the Spirit. A constant prayer in my life is, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. This is all day. This is every day. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And this prayer is asking, Lord, lead me by your Spirit. Like I'm, I'm relinquishing my will and my desire and my ambition to yours. Lead me by your Spirit. Give me a deeper understanding of the gospel and how it should affect my life. Give me more Christ-like character at any cost. Give me more Christ-like character and give me more faith to walk in that which you call me to. And you know what? The Holy Spirit has the ability to do that in every one of our lives, right? With the prerequisite of what? That we first surrender to the Holy Spirit that he has the ability to. He's not forcing himself upon you. And so as we surrender, he can come in and then work. Listen to it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It's pretty clear. Paul says, So I say, let, that's something that we do, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then what? then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Super practical. Number two in regard to setting our minds on the things of the Spirit is this. We have to consider what we're putting into our minds. We have to consider what we're putting into our minds. If we want to have godly thoughts coming out of our minds, We have to seriously consider the things that we're putting into our minds. If we're feeding our minds with the flesh, 
do not expect the Spirit to be coming out, right? If we're putting trash in, we should not expect holiness. That's just the way that it works, right? You don't buy a brand new car and dump mud into the gas tank, right? Because you know what you put in is going to have a result, right? And so then we need to think about the things we're setting our minds on throughout the day, the things we're thinking on. We need to talk about our entertainment. What are the things that we're looking at on the computer, the TV screen? What are the movies that we're picking and choosing to go to, the books and all of the things that we're allowing to come into our mind? And we have to then ask the question, are these things good? Are they edifying? Are they pure? Are they things of the Spirit or are they trash? Because we've already determined what? If we're putting trash in, we can't expect to get holiness out. And so we have to ask the question, what am I putting in? How much Scripture am I putting into my mind? Right? There's no possible better way to set your mind on the things of the Spirit than in the reading, in the memorizing, and the dwelling on the Word of God. There's just no better way. Like, that's just it. You want your mind on the Spirit? Guess who authored the Scriptures? The Spirit. We've got to develop these habits and these, these disciplines where we feed our mind with right things. You know, somebody sent me, a, um, a friend of mine sent me, a, just this morning, a friend of mine sent me a devotional, and, uh, and the devotional that he sent me started out with the greatest commandment, right? Luke chapter 10, 27, my buddy's here right now, and he sent me this devotional, and it said, love the Lord, your God, with all of your what? All of your heart? all of your soul, with all of your strength. But what was the last one? All of your mind. See, we get the other ones like all of my heart. Yes, Lord, I give you my heart and I'll sing the worship song and I'll raise my hands. I'll give you my heart. And the strength one, we'll do that because I'll serve in this ministry and I'll, I'll get up and go to that ministry and I'll give you my strength too. What about the mind? What about the mind? Are we serving him with the mind? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 right here. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. New American Standard says, dwell on these things. And so then we ask ourselves, don't we? Is this list that we find in Philippians 4, is it a description of what you and I are allowing into our mind? We should use this verse as a filter, right? When I fire up my computer and the things that I'm going to look at, well, is it true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? When I decide I'm going to go to the movies, is it true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? Right? The things that I'm going to think about when I'm alone, 
right? We know we can let our minds run on all sorts of things and we have the ability to shut it off when we want to. We could replace it with something else, scripture possibly, but we have to ask when I'm going to let my mind run on those things. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? What we put in is what we're going to get out. You know, years ago, many, many years ago, I remember this um, illustration that Butch gave. Probably 17, 18 years ago, sitting on Uncle Scott's floor in his house, Butch used to teach a Tuesday night Bible study over there. And I remember this illustration from way back then. And he said, he says, you know, this guy's got two dogs. You might have heard this one if you've been around Butch a little bit. And he says, let's, for sake of argument, say he's got a black dog and a gray dog. And these two dogs are always in the yard fighting. You know, as dogs do, they'll get out there and wrestle and grapple a little bit. So the dogs are always in the yard fighting. And so this guy's solution to slowing down the fighting was going to to be to feed one more than the other. So what he does is he starts doubling the food on the black one and he stops feeding the gray one altogether. Now, what happens? After a week or so, the black one gets really strong and really dominant, doesn't he? And the gray one does what? Gets really weak. And every time they wrestle now, they don't stop wrestling, but every time they wrestle, what happens? One overpowers the other one. So then he decides that's not the way to do it, and he flips it around. He starts doubling the food on the gray one and stops feeding the black one. And guess what happens? It isn't but a few weeks, and the gray one gets all thick, and the black one gets all weak, and what happens? The gray one is now dominant over the black one and is always whipping the black dog. And Butch says, it's the same thing with the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Which one are you feeding? Which one are you starving? The one that you're feeding is going to be the dominant one. That's the one that you're going to want to be strong. Pretty cool little illustration. I wonder if Butch came up that on his own. But the point is this. If you're feeding the flesh and starving the spirit, it's easy to predict the direction that you're going. Right? If you're watching things and reading things and pursuing things and dwelling on things that are out of line with God's truth, our thinking then becomes desensitized. You're doing damage to the way that you think and our, and our worldview and everything starts to become desensitized. And our life then begins to lack spiritual power because we're not walking with the Spirit. It lacks spiritual joy because we're not walking with the Spirit. There's no real way to discern the will of God because we're not walking with the Spirit. And our thinking begins to shift and conform more to the world. And here's what happens. When our thinking shifts to fleshliness or worldliness, guess what else shifts? Our behavior and our character. It ultimately will follow. But on the other hand, if you're feeding the Spirit and starving the flesh, what happens? If you're reading and pursuing and dwelling on things that are in line with God's truth, then your thinking is being renewed by the Spirit. 
and we're going to begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit because we're walking with the Spirit. We're going to have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness for people, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control that we need. Why? Because we're allowing the Spirit to regenerate us, right? And the more that the Spirit renews our thinking, guess what happens? the easier and more clear it will be to discern the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're thinking in line with how He's thinking. And as we allow now our thinking to be transformed, guess what else is transformed? Our character and our actions. Our actions are going to follow the way that we're thinking. So it becomes super practical, doesn't it? What we sow, that's what we're going to reap. If you and I are sowing to the flesh, what can we expect? Fleshliness, carnalness. I don't even know if that's a word, carnalness. We just made it a word, close enough. What can we expect? Being controlled by that old sinful nature. If that's what we're sowing to, that's what we're going to get. But if we're sowing to the Spirit, what can we expect? The power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, as we go into a time of worship, that's what we reflect on. What have I been sowing to? What have I been feeding my mind with? Is it good? Is it pure? Is it of the Spirit? Or is it trash and it need to change? Lord, as we do, as we come to you now, we ask you to speak. This is why we do the bulk of worship at the end, Lord, so that we can reflect upon your word and give you time to work in our lives. And so now we ask that you speak to us about the things that are going into our minds, the things that we have control over. Where are the areas that we need to change? What are the pursuits in our lives? Where have our minds been? Lord, reveal that to us. So that we might actually change that and walk in the Spirit if we need a change. Lord, I pray, just even as this message has helped me so much in the studying for it, it would help these guys this week. Lord, we pray over our whole church, myself included, that as we go out this week, we would ask, is it true? Is this thing pure? Is it right? Is it admirable? Is it of you? Is it in line with your truth? Lord, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.